0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome once again to not only the Everyday Missionary Podcast, but this episode is the episode. It is too fitty, too fitty. Say it again, too. 50. 250 episodes and you know what that means for us <gasps> nothing I've been saying that for the last several podcasts that when we get to 250 it just means we go to 251 skip right through it just going to the next thing right but it's still kind of cool right like we're like a quarter of the way to a thousand that sounds impressive to me you start adding up 250 you're like that's a number of years if you're doing these every week but I'm not doing them every week. I've missed some weeks, and one of the weeks I missed was last week, but I have a really good excuse, right? So sometimes when you miss a a school assignment, work assignment, podcast assignment, you don't have a good excuse, right? Uh, But this one, brilliant, took the grandkids to the zoo. That is a good reason to miss something. Also, I've been filming other videos on the side about building finances and updates. And so those absorb more of my normal podcasting time. But if I'm really honest, it's because I went to the zoo with the grandkids, which is great, man. Like there's nothing more like authentic and, and viscerally honest than to see a two-year-old just mesmerized by lions and bears and giraffes and gazelles and all the fun stuff. So I had a great time doing that. Uh, so missed recording last week, but now we're back in the saddle, back at it, and uh, that means I've had two weeks to think, which is really sometimes a beautiful thing or it's a dangerous thing depending on how you want to look at that. And uh, I found myself probably in the last few weeks just continuing to think about how easily tempted we human beings can be. And even in that, how easily we are tempted uh, in the realm of our fears. Like There's this aversion we have. In fact, even last week at Redemption Church, uh, it was all about digging out of fear and, and the fact that, hey, fear is real. Fear is something we all face. Whether your fears are founded in facts or fiction, the emotion you sense is a very real emotion that you have to kind of work through. And what I sought to do in that message was to give some validity to some of our fears to say, Hey, the best of us have feared fear is understandable, totally get fear. And then here's how you navigate through it. Right. And, 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 and in that that's a total truth, but it's not the only truth about fear. I think there's this other side of fear where there is a destructive force behind it, where it does not create flourishing for those around us, but actually it can be fear of such a magnitude that we will actually um, bring suffering to others to try to protect or mitigate or remove the fears that we are sensing. And that's kind of the topic of today because as I continue to listen to some of the rhetoric rhetoric that's happening within the political structure, as I listen to the rhetoric that is coming from some of the pundits in our political structures and things like that, it made me realize something that was uncomfortable for a minute. And I'm not going to say this is true for everybody that's listening, but I'm just going to say By and large, as I keep trying to keep my ear to the rail of what's going on in the world, I tend to see that preachers play a second fiddle as far as like theological preachers or church preachers. They play second fiddle to a different batch of preachers that I believe many Christians tend to give more credibility to or to listen to more often and in part because those preachers are telling at least certain batches of Christians what it is they want to hear and they're validating their sense of frustration, uh, a frustration that actually then escalates into fear And so because of that, the most prominent Christian preachers are actually not the pastors in pulpits of most common evangelical Christian churches, but actually it is either more well known, whether it be famous or infamous Christian preachers, or it's the politicians or the pundits of politicians that are kind of stirring up a lot of this sense of, we are being attacked. Our way of life is being threatened. Our Western heritage is at risk. Our American values are at stake. And the only thing that's going to let us pave a way forward is that we need to realize there's a real threat and you need to be afraid of that threat. Otherwise, that threat's going to run you down, run you out, drive you away from our way of life, take our kids away from our heritage, and ruin everything, right? And so there is this tension that says, all right, you got to fight fire with fire, man. You got to be serious about how big the threat is. And we can't keep playing around. We can't keep just like kid, kid glovin and, and soft peddling and, you know, pretending like it's going to go away. No, we need to get serious. We need to punch back and punch back hard. And that is the very thing that then undermines the mission of the church. And it undermines the value system that the church is to operate with. And so the topic of the day is kind of the difference between the idea of faith that compels and is motivated by love versus fear, which desires to control, and it's motivated by dislike, all right? So we have faith that wants to compel because it's motivated by love, versus fear that wants to control, and it's motivated by dislike. And I bring this up because I think it's that second idea that there is this increasing sense of divide and threat. And what I hear increasingly from politicians that call themselves evangelical Christian politicians or pundits that call themselves Christian or evangelical pundits. And even again, some pastors and prominent teachers is I'm hearing way more like there's this whole segment of society that is that is sinful, that is un-American, that is, again, not holding to Western values, that wants to erode and eradicate everything. They're woke, they're liberal, they're socialist. There's all the names that kind of play out of this. And the whole spirit behind this then is saying, and we dislike them. And we dislike them because what they want to do is control us They want to keep us from being who we are, and therefore, the only way to get ahead of that is we need to get in positions of power. We need to have dominance in the culture so that we can control the narrative and the environment because they've been controlling it for too long. We need to control it instead, and therefore, by doing that, we can then secure our way of life and secure secure our Christian values and our Christian sense of identity, and that, in my opinion, is the fastest way to destroying a true sense of Christ-centered identity by thinking that doing that is equal and part and parcel to doing it Jesus's way, and it's not. It's a way of doing it politically and religiously and secularly in the name of Christ, but it's not doing it in the way or the name of Christ. And so there's a difference in there. And that's the thing I just wanna keep putting before us because as, as I talk to different people at different times within our Christian kind of tribe, I do hear and see and feel this growing sense of fear and, and fear in this particular arena will always be a destructive force. Because it causes me to say, instead of me loving you on the other side of whatever uh, whatever the thing is, I fear you on the other side, right? I am worried about you. And from that, I might loathe you. I might be scared of you. I might steer away from you. I might feel it's okay for me to resist you or fight you, as opposed to what we're called to do, which is love you right? That's really what it comes down to. So for the everyday missionary, the, the reason we want to center so much on that idea of I'm called to love. I'm not called to fear. I'm not called to fight. I'm called to love. The reason we want to do that is because that's the fuel of the gospel, right? So why did God send Jesus into the world? It says love in John three sixteen. right? For God so loved, he sent his son into a hostile environment, and that hostile environment throttled him, and when they throttled him, he still was able to display that love. And that's the thing, if we're going to get back to a Christ-centered identity, then we have to get back to, wait, he told us to do as he did, and that meant risk, that meant care, that meant non-retaliation, and that meant not controlling the environment, but rather living in such a way that you might compel the environment. And this is where we need to stake our claim, right? When we're motivated by concerns of what America could become or how the woke people could get us or how the liberals want to take over, whatever else, and, and we're not listening to that kind of rhetoric and thinking, man, then I got to love these people all the more. If instead the rhetoric is we need to resist these people all the more. Well, at that point, we're just, again, we're fighting fire with fire. We're doing earthly things in earthly ways for earthly goals. And even if you're doing it in the name of Jesus, not only is that bad, I think it's worse. And here's why it's worse. Um, the Bible is pretty clear about who we should fear. The Bible's clear. It says, hey, don't fear people. Don't fear human beings with their threats. Don't fear human beings with their sense of wanting to control your life. Don't fear them, but rather fear God. And in particular, here's the way that we as everyday missionaries want to fear God. We want to fear not doing things the way Jesus tells us to do them. Right. Because when you read the Sermon on the Plain, for example, in Luke chapter six, it becomes really clear, you know, like if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. Right. Like it's really clear about that. If you want to judge the world around you with the level that you judge, God will judge you. And Jesus is saying this to the follower. Right? That, that should cause us some pause right there. Like, wait a minute. I gotta remember that more than I'm gonna fear humans and therefore I'm gonna retaliate as humans retaliate because I fear them or I fear what they can do to my heritage. And so I'm gonna fight them in the spirit of my heritage, but in earthly ways. What we're doing ultimately is saying, God, I don't trust your methodology. God, I don't trust your way. And frankly, God, I don't fear you. I fear them more than I fear you. So I'll take things into my own hands in your name, God, and I'll do it my way instead of your way. And then I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to create the perfect utopian society in the name of God, a theocracy that gives me what I want and makes me feel good. Like I did it in God's name. And God will say, that's exactly opposite of what I told you to do. And you did it in my name. And that is far worse than doing the opposite of what I tell you to do. And you don't do it in my name because that's the thing we know better, right? So like in the book of James, he says to those who know what they ought to do and they don't do it, it's sin, right? And for a disbeliever who doesn't believe in God and doesn't do it God's way sure, that's sin. For a believer who says they believe in God's way, but then doesn't do it God's way, and then doesn't do it God's way, but tries to say it's still in the name of God. I think that's like a double dip into the sin category because it's saying, I don't trust you enough, God. I don't believe your way is the best way. I don't believe the... Again, turning the other cheek and going the extra mile, and you know all that silliness, loving my enemy, doing good to them. I pray I don't believe it really works. Doing unto others as I want them to do unto me—it doesn't really work. This is a real world with real problems, and you got to really retaliate and really fight back and really stand up for things. Like it, it, the more we're doing that, the more we're saying, "God, your word sucks, man. Your way doesn't work. It's not practical. It's not feasible." It's like, God, you didn't really measure how the world was going to be in the 21st century. And so, hey, we just got to do what we got to do, right? Because it's a real culture war. Like that kind of stuff, that erodes what's most important and what we're meant to do as Christians. Because what we're most meant to do is to operate by faith. And faith says, God, not only do I trust you, but I trust the way you told me to do this. I trust that this upside down backwards methodology will actually see people come to faith because when we engage in the fight of society, it undermines the gospel pretty radically, pretty fast because it looks nothing like Jesus, but in the name of Jesus, which only does one of two things. People go, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. So you guys are full of it. Or B, it says, oh, that must be Jesus. He's just a thug. And all the more, then we're, we're messing with his reputation, which goes back to the 10 commandments, right? Think about the 10 commandments. Don't use the Lord's name in vain, which means don't contaminate or corrupt what his name is all about. And the name Jesus means something, right? It has this whole... History behind a way of life and a way of viewing things and acts of faith and sacrifice and service and compassion and care and love and investment and laying oneself down for the greater good of others. If I must die so that they may live, that's okay, you know. But not like in a on the battlefield with weapon in hand way, but rather laying down weapons, giving ourselves freely on the battlefield without any sense of vengeance, retaliation, or fight. See, that's real faith in action. And that's the faith that Jesus calls us to. And I believe if we live in that faith, then what it turns into is a compelling life where people can look and say, wow, you really believe what Jesus said, right? And it's, you believe it so much, you don't feel the need to fight over it. You feel more the need to live in faith through it. And when we live in faith through it, that really proves how true it is, right? To want to just control the environment to solidify faith for a culture, that doesn't prove faith is real. That p- proves an ideology, a religious ideology. What proves faith is real is when we live in such a way that we lean into it and others can see it and they can see our calm and our peace and our peace loving and our peace making in that. And they can see our kindness and compassion, even with With critics coming at us, even with people that may have a very poor view of our faith, if we're still living in the heart and spirit of the faith that Jesus called us to live out, that is compelling. And what's driving that is not, I have a disdain for you. I have a dislike for you. What's driving that is I authentically love you. And maybe that's the core of this whole idea, the difference between fear and faith. Like if we're not in a space that says, you know what? I love the left or I love the far right or I love the woke culture, or I love the supremacy culture, or I love, in other words, it's not to say that there isn't things within any of those cultures that we would say, hey, I think those are problematic. I think those have moral handicaps there. I think some of those are even really distasteful. But if our attitude isn't, I need to love those environments and those kinds of people, then we will fail in our mission. As soon as we think our mission is to beat people, or to cancel people, or to, you know, force them out of a certain system, or force them out of education, or force them out of some other cultural outcropping, or something like that, as soon as we feel that's really our job, right, is to be the arbitrators of what we think is morally acceptable, or civilly desirable, we're not living our calling again, right? Our calling is so much more transcendent than that. I think the danger is we just get too much in the mud and we're willing to sling it and to fling it more than we're trying to figure out how to get people cleaned off from the mud of this world, right? Because this world is a muddy world. This world has all kinds of decay that we deal with all the time. And our job is to bring flourishing. Our job is to not be critics and critique everything and talk about how this side or that side is the worst side Uh, we got to figure out how to not get pulled into those debates, not get pulled into those viewpoints because, again, the far left and the far right are both highly motivated by fear and then there's those of us in the middle where the challenge is not whether we're on either one of those sides, but if we turn a blind eye to both sides, we go, you know, my side is just going to be kind of crazy or my side's going to be kind of crazy and you just got to let them be crazy or whatever. No, we need to be above all of that. And like, no, our job is to peacemake all the sides because our job is to love all the sides because our job is to be like Christ to all the sides because Jesus died ready for all the sides, all the sides. And see, this is a good reminder for me because honestly, I have my own biases. I have those groups that I roll my eyes, get frustrated at, bite down hard and say, I'm sick and tired of X. And Jesus is like, dude, are you going to love them? Are you going to love them? I know they're frustrating you. I mean, for me, you know, anybody that listens to the podcast, you know that I probably have a lot more issues with the far right because they are claiming more of an evangelical identity. And I go, man, that is so mocking the name and spirit and heart of Jesus. All of these conspiracy theories are mocking truthfulness, all of these kind of hype, hypotheses about all the different underliers in play. I'm like, this isn't what is real. All of this threatens Christianity. And I can get really defensive and really frustrated. And I want to, I want to fight, but instead I need to love. Doesn't mean I don't need to try to talk through, convince, peacemake. But if my attitude is they suck, then that's a bad attitude for me. And so it wouldn't be any good for me to sit here and say, hey, we need to love everybody, but I'm not going to love these ones over here that are driving me crazy right now. No, as much as I know I need to love disbelieving people and love the, those who have deconstructed and those who are done with the Christian faith or done with the church, I also need to love the ones that are doubling down on a version of godliness that has no power who are doubling down on control, motivated by fear because they dislike the other side. I still need to love those people and pray for those people and hopefully live out a faith that is compelling because it's loving and that can change them too. So as much as I want to reach disbelievers, I also want to reach those who say they believer, they're believers, but they're in a space where they're fearing people more than they're fearing God. And they're willing to do things that are ungodly in the name of God because they fear what they perceive to be the ungodly. See, for all of us, it means we need to lay down our arms a little bit, lay down our defensiveness, lay down our bitterness and frustration, lay down our fears and move in faith because faith compels and compelling faith is driven by love. And if we are doing that, we will be effective everyday missionaries.